The Bible says in verse number one, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man. Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, you may wish to mark the phrase there. If you have a red letter edition, you'll find that these words are written in red. And those words are found in verse number nine, where the Lord Jesus communicated this message to the Apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee. You know what he's saying? He's saying, my grace is enough. It's enough for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. I want you to know that none of us know what 2024 will hold. None of us have any clue. We stand in front of you and we say, we'd like to do this and we'd like to do that and we believe that maybe the Lord's put this on our heart and we believe the Lord's put that on our heart. But the truth of the matter is, is that 2024 is still a script that is yet to be written and God will be the author. Here's what we do know. We know that in 2024 we'll enjoy good times and we'll enjoy more than enough difficult or challenging times as well. Can I tell you that while the future is at the same time unpredictable and yet very predictable, in other words, we don't know what those good times and what those challenging times will be, but we know that they're coming, that is all true, but I can say this with absolute confidence and certainty that God is faithful and that his grace is sufficient. I can tell you tonight, after 33 years of living the Christian life, that I have failed him time and time again, but he has never failed me. As a church, 65 years of ministry, 65 and a half years now of ministry, we have disappointed him, but he has never disappointed us. You may be diagnosed with a difficult disease in 2024. You may have to make an unexpected career change in 2024. You may have to bury a loved one in 2024. You may have to work through a major family crisis crisis in 2024. But listen, no matter what, no matter what season you may find yourself in, God will be there and he'll be more than enough sufficient grace and perfect strength to get you through whatever it is that you're dealing with. The apostle Paul had been through enough during his earthly ministry to testify about what he writes here. 
In other words, this is not a theory it is that has come into my life. No matter what has come my way, the grace of God has been sufficient. The strength of God has made up for whatever weaknesses that I have in my life. Now, you and I may not suffer to the extent that Paul suffered. If you read the previous chapter, chapter 11, begin in verse 23, all the way down through verse number 33, you will find a long list of challenges that the Apostle Paul endured in his ministry efforts. You and I may not struggle to that same effect. We may not have to deal with all of those things, but mark it down, we will suffer and we will struggle down here. There is no life that is lived on this planet that is not without suffering and difficulty. Can I say there's also no life lived in Christ where there is not more than enough sufficient grace and perfect strength to carry us through. I have to tell you that this theme was birthed in early November. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, early November is way too late to not have a theme for the coming year. I was really struggling. Lord, what is it? What do you want us to focus on? What do you want us to emphasize? What do you want us to have our eyes fixed on in this coming year? And I was sitting in this very auditorium under the preaching of Brother Bill Prater. You remember he was here to host a Walking Through Grief Sunday. He talked about the loss, the sudden, unexpected death of, of his son. He talked about how he was, he was overcome with grief and with sorrow. And yet it was in that moment where God met he and his family. And God gave them grace that was sufficient. And God gave them perfect strength to rise up to meet this challenge and this need in their lives and I just have to tell you that as a pastor, you want to do whatever you can to remove burdens from people. I wish I could restore you to your wayward child. I wish I could heal you of your diseases. I wish I could prevent your spouse from leaving you. I wish I could keep you from losing your job. But listen, I've come to the conclusion that I can't do any of those things. But I've also come to the conclusion that while I am helpless, the grace of God is sufficient. And I've come to the conclusion that I can rest in the perfect strength that he offers and that he provides. I want to share with you just three simple thoughts from this passage of Scripture. Number one, I want us to think about the problems that often come to us in life. The problems. Paul, Paul really gives us three problems that we find in our text. And I want you to see them tonight. Number one, he talks about the problem with blessing. The problem with blessing. Now, this sounds really strange, doesn't it? This sounds a little weird. Most of us do not associate problems with blessings. We think that blessings are good, and they are. Don't misunderstand me. But I want you to notice that Paul describes a problem that comes along with blessing. Now, most Bible commentators agree that Paul was writing of himself and of his own personal experience when he mentions this man on several occasions that he knew 14 years prior. At some point, Paul had a most unusual honor that was bestowed upon him. He had a most unusual blessing that visited his life. Here, here's the blessing. He was caught up and he was given the opportunity to visit the third heaven or paradise. I got to thinking. In all of human history, as far as we know, there's only been two men 
who saw the third heaven, who saw paradise, and lived to talk about. I'm talking about human, human men who are formed just like you and me, because we understand Jesus is God, and so, and so I'm, I'm, I'm removing him from this. And I'm talking about men who were born of natural birth, just like you and I were. Only two. And they are the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John. Both of those men saw the third heaven. They saw paradise. John writes in John chapter number five about being in the very throne room of heaven. And he watched as multitudes that could not be numbered gave glory and honor to the Lord. You know, I've often thought about that. I thought to myself that John witnessed an event that is still yet to happen. And then I got to thinking about this. Did John see you up there? Were you a part of that number? Did John see your children up there? Did he see your grandchildren? Listen, if you're saved, you were a part of that number. An event that is yet to happen, John has already seen it. God allowed him to see something that is still in the future, still to be accomplished. The Apostle Paul is the other individual who is a living human being who saw the third heaven, he saw paradise, and he came back and he lived to tell about it. But with this honor comes a problem. It seems the problem is this, that Paul was tempted to glory in it. You can understand that. I mean, he had been, a, he had been to a place, and even at this point, the time he sees it, you study the timeline of it, John hadn't even been there yet. So he's been to a place, and he's seen something no one has ever seen. He's witnessed something that no one has ever witnessed or observed he saw things, he heard things that no living human had ever heard. He said, there are things that it's not even lawful that they be uttered. I just have to think, if it was anything like you and me, the Bible seems to indicate that the great men and women of the Bible were subject to like passions as we were, that he probably couldn't wait to come back to earth and to tell everyone he knew what he'd experienced, what he'd seen, and what he'd heard. Perhaps maybe he began to dream visions and he began to think, when I get back, boy, am I going to write a book and I'm going to make a lot of money. You know what I'm talking about. Even in our lifetime, there's been some folks who claimed to have had some vision of heaven, have been to heaven. I saw it, I lived to tell about it, and now let me make a couple million dollars off of every one of you. As I tell my story, as we make a movie, and as we write a book, and as we do all of these things. And I just have to think that perhaps that might have been somewhere in Paul's mind. I've experienced something no one has ever experienced, and I can't wait to get back and to glory in it, or we might say to brag about it. You know, there's something about our flesh that is eager to one-up those around us. You've noticed that, haven't you? When some blessing or honor has come our way, we can't wait to tell everyone we know so that we might, as it were, glory in it. As a pastor, when we have a good day, when we have a significant achievement, when we have a, perhaps a good offering, I want to broadcast it as sort of a form of self-validation. It's as if these blessings, they enabled me to say, see, I really am a good pastor, even though we all know that that's probably not the truth. It's as if we, we have something happen in our lives and we want to tell everybody, see, I, I really am a good parent. I really am a good husband. I really am a good wife. I really am a good employee. Look what I have done. Apostle Paul might have been tempted to come back to glory in it, to say, see, I really am an apostle. You see, you see, there were those, even in the church at Corinth, who were dismissing his calling as an apostle. They, they were saying, no, he couldn't possibly be an apostle. You see, he was one born out of due time. He didn't walk with the Lord during his earthly ministry. 
He didn't see the risen Christ like the the other apostles saw the risen Christ. He can't possibly be an apostle. Don't don't, Don't you think for just a moment that the apostle Paul in his mind was thinking to himself as he's seeing the third heaven and he's seeing paradise, when I get back, I'm gonna set everybody straight and I'm gonna let everybody know what I have seen and what I have experienced and I'm gonna let them know, I see, I really am a God called apostle. I have to think, He talks about the struggle of glorying in this experience. He'd been doubted by some, and I have to think that he's planning on trying to use this experience to authenticate himself. It's likely that he wished to do so, but listen, he remained quiet about it for 14 years. I want you to know that you will discover that with the joy of blessing also comes a problem, and that is the temptation to glory in the blessings that we enjoy. To use it as a form of self-validation. See, I really am this or that or the other thing. Notice not only the problem with blessing, but notice the problem with suffering. Would you look in verse number seven? And lest I should be exalted. In other words, to keep me from glorying in this, to keep me from taking pride in this experience, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Can we talk for a moment about the problem with suffering? Can I just give it to you? Here's the problem with suffering. It hurts. It hurts. We don't know if this was some great trouble or some great temptation in Paul's life. Many believe that it was a physical ailment And yet others believe that it was the contempt that was shown him by some who doubted his calling as an apostle and maybe the opposition that they met him with at every opportunity. You're not who you claim to be. You're not an apostle. You don't have any right to write us these letters and to correct us and to tell us what to do. Who are you? And you can imagine if that was what he was dealing with on a consistent basis, that would feel like a thorn in the flesh. It would hurt. It would sting. Because Paul had been called by God to be an apostle. Because the Holy Spirit of God was communicating these writings and these letters to him. And so whether it was some physical ailment where his body just didn't function the way that a normal body would, or whether it was some uh, some tension, some struggle with other believers, remains to, to be seen. Paul is sort of unclear exactly what this struggle was. But we know this. Then he says, it was a messenger of Satan to pound upon me and to beat upon me. Some of you know what Paul is talking about here. Some of you also have some great affliction, some great area of suffering in your life. And listen, every reminder, every thought of it, Every flare-up of it is another reminder of just how flawed, how frail, and how broken you are. And like Paul, this matter keeps you, keeps you humble, doesn't it? Keeps you from ever being exalted above measure. Whatever this suffering is, it, it, it keeps you from maybe taking that step of glorying in yourself and letting everybody know just how great you might be or you might think you are. And so it accomplishes this task of keeping us from being exalted above measure, being filled with pride. But listen, it hurts. It hurts immensely. This is the problem with suffering. There's a problem with blessing. There's a problem with suffering. But notice thirdly, there's the problem with God's will. Would you look 
in verse number eight. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. What do you do? What do you do when God's will doesn't match your will? That's a problem, isn't it? When there is what you want to do, what you believe you ought to be doing, what you think is best, what makes the most sense to you, what do you do when God says, that's not what I have for you? It's a problem, isn't it? It's a challenge. Some of us right now, we're saying, Lord, it sure would be nice if your will for me was to live in the state of Florida. On a day like today, we might, we might feel that way. But listen, you, I promise you this, if you move down there, you would be saying in July, it sure be nice to live in the state of Ohio, right? No matter where you live, you're going to be miserable. You've heard me say that before. It's part of living in a sin-cursed earth. You're going to be miserable no matter where you are. You're going to have something to deal with. I'm just simply saying, listen, what do you do when your will doesn't match God's will? Paul was convinced, he was certain that his life would be better and his ministry more impactful if he were to be set free from this thorn in the flesh. And we know that because he went to the Lord three times and he asked the Lord to remove it from him three separate times. Now it seems as if that he's going three separate times, that there were, there were times previous in which God said, no, I'm not going to be removing it. And yet he kept coming and he kept asking, why? Because it, it seems as if Paul was certain that it would be best for him, that his will would be that this thorn in the flesh be removed. And yet we discover a problem. And the problem is, is that Paul's will doesn't match God's will. God says, no, I'm not going to remove it. There will likely be times when you're certain, in 2024, when you're certain that you know what is best for you in your life. Can I tell you that when God's will doesn't align with what you think is best, this can, lead, this can lead us into frustration and discouragement, and it can even create, listen, it can even create a barrier. It can build a wall between us and our relationship with the Lord. Because we can be so convinced, we can be so certain that we know what is best for us. And I'm just here to tell you, you may think, I may think we know what is best for us, but listen, God always knows what is best. And so if you're in a period right now in which your will is not matching God's will, and you're tempted to be frustrated and to be discouraged, and maybe even be a little bit angry, maybe even a little bit bitter, you can rest in this. God knows what is best. We see the problem. Notice, secondly, we see the promise found in verse number nine. It's a two-part promise. Finally, God said to Paul, number one, my grace is sufficient. Here's the promise that he makes to every one of us. His grace is sufficient. Matthew Henry writes, grace signifies two things. It signifies the good will of God toward us and the good work of God in us. So in other words, God is thinking good thoughts about us and God is wanting to do a good work in us. We can count on God supporting us and keeping our head above the waves that threaten to drown us, even when we do not choose, when he does not choose to lift us from the water's floods. See, some of you might feel like you're drowning tonight. You might feel like, God, why won't you just pull me out of this water? 
Why won't you just put me on solid ground so that I can breathe a little and so that I can take a break for just a little bit? Here's what I, here's what I want. I don't know why God doesn't pull you out of the water, but here's what I do know. I, know. I do know that God's grace will be sufficient for you in the water. His grace is sufficient. You might discover a mammoth problem in your life this year and be certain that that problem should be removed And you may pray about it over and over again only to discover that God's will does not match your will. What do you do in that moment? You cling. Cling to the promise that his grace will be more than enough to carry you through. The second part to this promise, his grace is sufficient. Here's the second part. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. You know, there's a spiritual principle that is clearly taught in God's word. And that is this, that the Holy Spirit is weak in our lives when we operate in our own power. But listen, he comes alive with all power and strength when we view ourselves as feeble and helpless. Here's what we think. We think the removal of our problems will render us more capable. So whatever this problem was, Paul thought to himself, think about how much more I could do. If this problem were out of the way, if whatever this issue with were no longer in front of me, that I didn't have to deal with it anymore, think about how much freer I could be. Think about how much faster I could run. Think about how many more letters I could write. Think about how, many, how much greater messages I could preach if this thorn was just simply removed. And here's the point. The point is this. God says, I'm going to leave that there because if I remove that, you'll begin to function in your own strength and your own power. But if I, if I keep that there, You'll have to rely on me. Every moment of every second of every day, you'll have to trust in me. And my strength is only made perfect in your weakness. Can I remind you that the great battle of the Christian life is not, is often it's not good versus evil. The great battle in the Christian life often is not light versus darkness. It's not even God versus Satan. Listen, the great battle that determines our effectiveness in the Christian life is this, my strength versus his strength. Will I I do what I'm going to do today in my own power and in the strength of my own flesh or will I release that and will I give that over to the Lord and will I rest in him and will I function in his strength and in his power? May God help us all to resist living the Christian life in the power of our own flesh and instead live it in his power and his strength. The Bible says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Colossians 1.11 says, Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Thirdly and finally tonight, I want you to consider the point. What's the point of this whole emphasis, this whole theme? What difference does it make in our lives? Can I say, first of all, the point is this. One thing you must take from this tonight is this. The power of Christ rests upon the weak and the vulnerable. The power of Christ rests upon the weak and the vulnerable. Look in verse number 9. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. You know what he's saying? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weakness. Will I rather glory in my vulnerabilities? 
So what? People don't think that I'm an apostle. If that draws me closer to the Lord. If it allows me to have more of his strength and more of his power, if that's what God wants for me, then so be it. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Some have long speculated that it was his eyesight. Paul came to the realization, so what if I can't see as well as someone might be able to see? Some of you, you might think of some other affliction, some other suffering, and you must come to the point where you say, so what if this is a part of my life? If it's the one thing that draws me closer to the Lord, if it's the one thing that enables the power of Christ to rest upon me, then so be it. This truth completely changed Paul's perspective. He went from talking about this thing as a thorn, a messenger of Satan that pounded upon him and beat upon him, and now he glories in it and he takes pleasure in it. Do you see the transformation? He goes from saying this is the worst thing, this is a thorn, this is a thing that I went to God over and over and over about. And finally he comes to the end of it and he says, but now I'm gladly glorying in this thing. I'm taking pleasure in this thing. Why? Because the power of Christ rests upon me with this thing. Can I just tell you that all of us, I've been pastor almost five years, all of us are dealing with something There is not a home in this church that is not suffering in some way. There is not a marriage that doesn't have some level of affliction. There is not a relationship between parent and child that does not from time to time have issues. There is not a body among us in which all, which we could say, hey, I'm as good as can be. Nothing squeaks, nothing aches, no problems, no issues. No. Listen, all of us have an issue. All of us have some thorn in the flesh, as it were. Every one of us, we could be tempted, be frustrated, and weary, bitter, and angry, and discouraged, or we can get the point tonight. And we can understand, wait a minute, what if, what if that's the thing that enables the power of Christ to rest upon me? And without that thing, without that thing, I, I would trust in my own flesh and I would trust in my own ability. That's the thing. That's the point. The point is that the power of Christ, Christ rests upon the weak and the vulnerable. The thing that we fear the most just might be the key that unlocks the power of Christ in a new and fresh way in our lives. Listen, I'm not encouraging you to ask God to bring problems into your life, but I do know that when they do come, and they will come, he will be there with sufficient grace and perfect strength. That leads me to the final point. And that is this, I need not fear because he is more than enough. If you look in verse number 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in necessities and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Most people would naturally fear infirmities. They would naturally fear reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and distresses. Can I just be real honest with you? I fear them too. I'm not asking for these things to come into my life. I didn't put my name on a sign-up list. Lord, give me more of this. This is what I want. This is what I want to visit my family. This is what I want to visit my home, my life, my church. None of us would be that way. 
But listen, understanding this truth helps me to transition from fearing these things to taking pleasure in them because he is more than enough. You know, there's some level of anxiety within all of us. The last few years have been a little challenging, haven't they? And I know many of you were not in the service this morning in other places, but I reminded our church family this morning, 2024 is an election year. <laughs> that causes us all to groan just a little bit inside, doesn't it? In recent days, election years have been some of our most tumultuous years. I get all of that. Some of us might be left to wonder, with everything we've had to deal with in the past and with 2024 being an election year and viruses and financial problems and wars breaking out in different parts of the world, what does 2024 hold? Well, here's what, here's what I know. I know it'll hold problems. But I don't have to fear that because those problems are the secret to sufficient grace and steady strength, perfect strength from my Lord. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment. All of us are dealing with problems. Every one of us. There's not a person in this room that isn't struggling with something, wrestling with something. And if, and if it were up to you, that thing would be removed. It makes no sense to you why God hasn't removed that thing yet. Why is it still here? God, why won't you take it away? It comes to us with this message tonight. My grace is more than enough. And my strength is perfect in your weakness. That's the message. That's the message. So here's the question. Will you and I respond like Paul did? Most gladly, therefore. Lord, if for some reason or another you have not removed this from me, if for some reason or another you've not taken this away, then you must want me to have it. Not my will, but thy will be done. And he will meet you in that moment, and he'll fulfill those promises to you. And you can rest in him to provide for you sufficient grace and perfect strength that, listen, will be more than enough no matter the season. 